I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 3. If you're a guest with us or perhaps you've been away on vacation, I know summer months uh, really are times where families come and go. And um, I know several families who are away even this weekend who have just let us know um, that they're going to be away. But if you've been with us or perhaps you've been away from us, we continue through uh, the letter of James looking at the series Get Real. And in the series Get Real, one of the things we're talking about is the ongoing impact and the reality of our faith into our life. That so much of uh, really our, our lives, we live in compartmentalization. We compartmentalize our work. We do our, our home life, our family life, our personal life, our, all these different pieces. And even we can put our, our faith into that. But when you look at the New Testament model and what God's design is for your life and for my life and our commitment to following Jesus, that it's really intended to be all-encompassing. It's meant to get into everything, every part of who we are, to change every part of who you are. We've talked in the past about our thinking. We've talked about our living, the lifestyle, our relationships. Every single part of who we are is meant to be changed in our relationship with Jesus. And one of the things James talks about, writing to real people like you and me, is he talks about the reality of our faith. That if our, if our faith is real, it's going to impact our life. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Paul took time to talk about the, the impact of our faith upon our works or upon our, our lives. This morning, I'd love to take a little bit of time and talk with you about the impact of our faith on our words. How many of you remember growing up or have heard um, the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Have you ever heard that phrase? It's the catchy little phrase that, you know, I don't even know really when it began or where it came from, but the simplicity of that phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The, the simplicity of that phrase is pointing to the fact that while you may do things physically that can harm my body and can break my body, the words you say and the things you say to me really won't have any impact. And as simple of a word as that is or a phrase as that is to remember It couldn't be more dead wrong. When you look at our lives and you look at our bodies, that many of us have had physical injuries. Perhaps you've broken a bone or you've torn something in one of your joints or you've had a a serious injury take place, perhaps from an accident. Many of us have had those type of things happen and we've found that our bodies have mended far faster from those physical injuries than many times from words, careless words and things that people have said and the wounds that they have caused within our souls and within our spirits. I sit, I'll sit through different times of counseling with individuals and talking with individuals, um, both inside the church and outside the church, just in relationship. And I'll find that individuals, that many times their hearts are still so raw and wounded from words that were spoken and, and the way that they, they speak about them and the sting that's there connected to what they feel, feels like the words just happened a week ago or a few days ago. And as I talk with them, you'll find that sometimes it's many decades ago. The sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That life shows us that that phrase really is not true. Well, James takes time to talk about, we've looked at a number of temptations and tests and trials that come in life and that come our way in life. And one of the things that James begins to talk about specifically when it comes to our words is he highlights one of the greatest temptations that you and I will face in life. And the fact is that we carry it with us everywhere we go. And that is our tongue. Look with me in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I want to read verses 1 through 12 and then share with you Uh, Four observations James gives about our tongues and then some ways that we can apply it. So James chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Many of you should, many, 
Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Or it says it's, they're perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And that word perfect, uh, another translation would be, say, mature. They're, able to, they're mature, able to keep their whole body in check. We put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the many parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James points out a number of things about our tongues and the impact of our faith upon our tongues and upon our lives. And first to notice, if you look in verse 1, is that he's writing to believers. He says, my fellow believers. So what he's talking about when it comes to our mouths, he's not talking about people who have not identified with Christ. He's not talking about people who are living untransformed lives. He's talking about believers, people who have identified with following Jesus. They've, they've made a confession of Jesus Christ to be Lord of their life, that they're striving to live for him. And James says, do you want your faith to be real? Then let it affect your mouth. And he shows at least four things, a number, more, a number of other ones as well, but four things I want to highlight for you. The first one is found in verse 2. The first one is either control your tongue or be controlled by your tongue. Either control your tongue or be controlled by your tongue. Look at verse 2 once again. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect or mature, able to keep their whole body in check. That it's foundational. And I want you to see, if you could put verse 2 on the screen again for me. If you look at verse 2, look at the connection. He says that what, if they're able, they're never at fault, able to, to, and what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. That the link between our tongue and our lives is strong. That there's, a, there's an impact of our tongues and how we allow our, our tongues to behave and the things that we say. There's, it's an impact on our entire life. That either we're controlled by our tongue or we control our tongues. I would imagine most here have been in times and conversations and places where you'll say something and something will come out of your mouth. Perhaps it's inappropriate. Perhaps it's cutting. Perhaps it's something that even shocks you as you listen to it and you wish that you had some way of retracting those words that just came out of your mouth. I remember as a kid that sometimes I would drop a piece of food on the ground and, you know, the joke is a 10-second rule or whatever it is, and you have 10 seconds to get it and, and to, if it's something you want, you know, if it's, if it's something you don't want, you just leave it, of course, but if it's something that you, don't, that you want, you have 10 seconds to get it, it's still clean, it's okay to eat, there's this 10-second rule. 
If only there was a 10-second rule on the things that came out of our mouths that we have 10 seconds to retract it and it doesn't make its impact or 10 seconds to reverse what we said and the, the people who we said it to never know that we actually said it. But unfortunately, life doesn't give us that. But there is no 10-second rule on the things that we say. And the reality is the things that we've allowed to flow out of our mouths so often and every single person in this room, myself included, the things that we've allowed to often flow out of our mouths have hurt many people. They've damaged people. They've impacted people. They have, um, they have given the impression of falsehood, any number of things that we could look at. And, and what James says is that when we allow that to, things to flow out of our mouths, that it really is an identifier of, of really what is controlling our lives. What James says here in, in verse 2 really is reflective of some words that Jesus uh, gives us, and it's found in Luke chapter 6. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse number 45, if you've been with us for a few years, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago uh, in the fall, we did a series leading up to Thanksgiving. The series was called How to Come Together Without Falling Apart, and we just talked about the strain of relationships, uh, the challenges when we're around individuals just for an extended amount of time, uh, and just a number of things. But one of the things we looked at was this verse and, and what Jesus said about it. And look at verse 45, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What Jesus is saying is what James is, is identifying, is that the things that flow out of our mouths really are an indicator of what's in our hearts and what's in our lives. The way that we, we stated it when we looked at this passage a few years ago is that your mouth is the overflow valve for your heart. And so if you don't like, if you don't like the product, then you need to check the source. Because Jesus says there, there's consistency between the product and the source. He says what's spilling out of your mouth is an indicator of what's happening in your heart. James says that, that really whether we, control, whether we control our tongue or we don't is an indicator of what's happening in our lives. And James gives a number of examples uh, all throughout this passage we've looked at. If you look back with me in James chapter 3, um, he gives a couple of examples to really drive the point home. James chapter 3, verses, uh, let's look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, he says, We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. Or can we take, uh, to make them obey us, and we can turn the whole animal. Just to stop there for a second before we look at his, his next example. Uh, now, I've only been on a horse a handful of times, uh, probably maybe less than half a dozen times uh, throughout my life. And one of the things that, that I've learned just in those short times of riding the horse is that, um, that really you need to have the reins in your hand to be able to ride effectively. And if you have the reins in your hand, you realize that you're controlling the bridle, and part of the bridle, there's a bit. There's a metal bit. There's a metal piece that goes into the horse's mouth, presses on the back corners of the horse's mouth, and presses on the tongue. And when you want to go left, you pull left, and the, the metal bit presses on the tongue and the side of the mouth of the horse, and how you control the tongue indicates which animal, which direction the animal or the beast is going to go. Now, I'm sure there's a lot more mechanics to it than that. Uh, for those who are into horses and things, you can, uh, you can correct me wherever I'm wrong, but the main point is that when you have influence and power over the tongue, it controls the direction of the beast. James goes on to give another example, highlighting the importance of the control of the tongue and its influence over our entire bodies. Look at verse 4. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder 
wherever the pilot wants it to go. I want you to see something in this verse. In verse 4, it says, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, just pause there for a second. Notice the winds always come. The strong winds will always come. The pressures in life will always come. The circumstances in life will always come. That the, the ship has no control over the storm that comes. The ship has no control over the winds that blow. Just like you don't have any control over the things that happen to you in your life. You don't have control over the things that happen to you in your home. You don't have control over you, over the things that happen to you in the workplace. You don't have control over the ways that you're wronged. You don't have control over the things that people say about you. The winds will come. The strong winds will come. But notice what happens. The ship, how it maneuvers through the winds, how it maneuvers through the storms, comes down to how they choose to use the rudder. They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Friend, in life, you will have the storms and the trials and the tests will come. And if you don't deal with the issues of the heart as they manifest through the tongue, then you will find yourself heading into storms and really heading into more storms and creating more storms because you didn't handle the first one properly by not dealing with the tongue and the issues of the heart. James makes it very clear that whoever, whatever is holding, however we use our tongue, manifests what's holding our heart. It says, what you do with your tongue influences your entire life. Look at verse 2 one more time. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. It's the connection and the influence between your mouth and your heart and your life. This is not something new that, that James introduces, nor is this new that Jesus, something Jesus introduced. They're both reinforcing some things that have been revealed in the Old Testament. When I've been reading in my own personal time, I've been reading through uh, Proverbs. And if you're familiar with Proverbs, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, a book of just very practical wisdom for life. And one of the things that Proverbs uses a number of phrases to identify those who, those who are godly, those who are listening and applying godly counsel, and those who are not. Those who fall on the side of they're not listening to godly counsel, there's a number of phrases used to identify them. And, and what Proverbs says is we look to their ways and we learn from them. We looked at how they function, how they behave, and we learn from them. The, some of the phrases they use are the unwise. Uh, it calls them the fool or the foolish. Uh, calls them the wicked. Calls them the lazy, the sluggard. Um, it, it talks about these individuals being careless with their mouths. And I wanna, there's a number of ones we could look at. But just a couple that I want to show you. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. You can turn there. If you're in the live notes, they'll pull right up for you, or it'll be on the screen for you. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. You see the connection between our mouth and our life. Those who, pre who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. There's one translation, I believe it's the King James translation, verse 3 says it this way, those who guard their, guards their lips preserve their, not their lives, their soul, preserves their soul. Again, the connection that Jesus highlights is the connection between our mouth and our heart, or our mouths and our, and our souls. If you want to, to guard your soul, if you want to guard your spirit, then be intentional with, with recognizing what's coming out of your mouth. You're ta the target of the enemy. You are a target of the enemy, the devil. The Bible makes it clear we have a very real enemy, the devil. And his target is not merely just to ruin your life, nor is his target just to give you pleasure for a time. His target is your soul. 
That's always his aim. That's always his goal. And, and his goal is to corrupt or destroy your soul with sin so as to separate you from God. And Proverbs says this. It says, those who guard their lips, who are intentional with how they use their mouths, what they say with their mouths, what comes out of their mouths, that they're quick to listen, they're slow to speak, that they're, they're slow to get angry, they're slow to respond, that it says that those who guard their lips preserve their souls. I really believe that the level of, of, uh, of care that we have for our souls is reflected in the level of care that we have for the things that come out of our mouths. It doesn't just stop there. If you'll turn over to Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse uh, 13. It says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil, or to fear the Lord, or a different way you could think of the fear of the Lord is, is, is reverence, reverence for God, living with a reverence and an awareness that everything you do, everything you say carries weight on your relationship with God. Everything that you are, every, every part of who you are from your thoughts, your desires, your words, your actions, everything impacts your relationship with God. And it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Again, the impact of our relationship with God upon the use of our mouths. I really believe that one of the first areas of our reverence for God is not seen in how we can reverently come and sit in worship and reverently sing songs or reverently sit or sit and stand at all the right spots and all the different things and the places and parts that, that we'll have in a service, that I really believe one of the first areas that true reverence for God is manifested in our lives is how we choose to let it transform our lips, the things that we say. The psalmist says that in Psalms 34, 12, it says, whoever fears the Lord and loves life will keep their lips from evil. But it, uh, there's a connection between our mouths and our hearts, what we allow to come out of our mouths and how it shapes our hearts. Uh, Psalms 19.14, a verse that we have a, my wife has made a, a chalkboard in it that's hung in our kitchen for a number of years now. And there's always a verse on the board, and right now we're going through some of the Proverbs and the, the importance of listening, the importance of being slow, slow with our mouths and slow to express our opinions, talking about pride and humility, a number of things. But one that was on the board for the longest time, uh, we also have it hanging in our office, just on a print hanging on the wall, is it Psalms 19.14. Psalms 19.14 says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's thinking about it's taking time to, to think and consider what's happening in our hearts and what's happening through our mouths. The phrase I started with, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't think so. Words are impacting to those around us, but even more importantly, as we look in Scripture, those words that we speak are impacting to our own souls. That if we're not careful, we can be damaging to our own hearts and to our own lives. That's why it's so important even, uh, not to get off track, but to, to stop and think about the self-talk that we allow to feed to ourselves the things that we say to ourselves, the, the, the really the, the things that we allow to exist in our mindset, the things that how we continually will tell ourselves, well, you know, you're not good enough, you're not qualified enough, you're not, and we will fill it in with all these different things. It's, it really is highlighting some of the importance of this and the impact of the damage that our words and the link between our words and our hearts and in our souls. The second thing James gives us it's found in verses 5 and 6 is not only have we talked about either control the tongue or be controlled by your tongue, the second thing James says uh, he highlights as the destructive nature of our tongues. The destructive nature of our tongues. That if, if we don't believe that there's a link between controlling our tongues, controlling our mouths, 
and, and its impact upon our life, then James sets out to help us see that. And he says, if you don't understand the importance of that link, then you need to understand the destructive nature of your tongue when it's left to its own ways. Look at, in verse 5. He gives a couple of incredible examples. Verse 5. Uh, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And we'll just stop there for a second. We'll come back and, and pick it up in just a second. But he says, he says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. When, when you read this and you think about the forest fires, I grew up in, in Alaska, and I can remember a number of times just being aware of forest fires that were taking place. And I remember one time our, 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 ve- our car was stopped as we were driving, and they had blocked off the road because the fire had gotten so close to the road that they wouldn't let us travel to where we needed to go. And even just, the, just some of the, the, the burned um, pine needles just blowing in the wind and coming and just the impact of that. I know California recently, in the last couple of years, has had very significant, very damaging forest fires. But one thing that I think can hit home for those who are from Pennsylvania or familiar with Pennsylvania, about two hours from here, there's a city and a little town in Pennsylvania called Centralia, Pennsylvania. Centralia, Pennsylvania was founded in 1962. If you're not familiar with it, founded in 1962. Uh, it was really a mining town, founded as a mining town. And they began to mine underneath the city because of where they found the coal. And underneath the city or underneath the town uh, is about eight miles worth of very intricate mine tunnels and all sorts of different things. And it's about 300 feet underneath the city. And in 1962, rather the city was not founded in 1962, but in 1962, uh, there was a, a dump and there was a small fire that was set in the dump, a very small that was meant to be contained and really was, um, was underestimated on its impact. And the next morning, when people had thought it was out, they came back and they found that the fire had continued to spread. And before long, it had spread down into the mines underneath the city. And it began to spread with such an intensity that it could no longer be contained. And the only, thing, the only solution that they had was to abandon the city. Now, apart from a couple of stubborn residents who won't leave, the city's abandoned. There's times you can go online and you can look up pictures and you can find images of, of steam and of heat that's, that's seeping through the roads that have been cracked because the, the fire continues to burn today. Experts say that from that small fire that was left unchecked in the dump, uh, that, that was really underestimated, that it has set ablaze such an inferno underneath the city that they estimate that with the fuel that's there and the intensity of the fire, that it will continue to burn for a minimum of 250 years. A small spark a raging inferno. And James says that that's your tongue. And he goes on to say that your tongue, that one of the sparks that is used, that is often used, is he says it makes such great boasts. Think about the last time you were boasting about yourself. Well, look how good I am. Look how good that I've done this. Look at me, look at me, look at me. That's just like standing next to a dry haystack flicking a lighter trying to light something. James says that our tongue is like the spark that starts and inferno, but he doesn't stop there. In case you miss his point, he goes on and look in in, uh, in verse seven. He says, "All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by the tongue by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison." As if the the raging inferno was not enough to drive home James's point, he says, "Your tongue is like a restless evil, full of deadly poison." How many of you have ever been to a zoo and you'll see the animals, you'll see the wild animals pacing back and forth, just walking back and forth, waiting, really just kind of, I think they're bored, but I think they think, they think you look good too. 
They're just pacing back and forth and, and there. But then how many of you have ever been to the reptile house? Uh, my grandma and my aunt and family lived in Memphis, and so many times we would travel over this summer and we would go to Memphis. And my grandma, if you, if you were a guest with my grandma for some time, she loved the Memphis Zoo. And so I couldn't even tell you how many times we would go to the Memphis Zoo. And one of the things that I loved at the Memphis Zoo was this big reptile house. You go in the reptile house and you can see all sorts of different reptiles and different things from all over different parts of the world. But one of the things that I remember is the different snakes, the poisonous snakes. And when I would see the snakes, I would always go try to find the cobra and, and to see the different venomous snakes that were there. And, but I'd always look at the snakes and I would try to find on their little descriptor, I wanted to see where it was from and I wanted to see how poisonous it was. Now, can you imagine for a second, if you were to go to the zoo today, whether you went to the Memphis Zoo or the Philadelphia Zoo or some other zoo that, that maybe you're familiar with, and you were to go to the reptile house, and when you open the door and step in, you realize that the zookeepers decided to not put any of the, the snakes in their cages. Instead, they were just all loose over the floor, and there was only one entrance, entrance on this side, exit on that side, and you had to go through. You would look at that and you would think the zookeeper was careless. You would think that, that they really, um, they were endangering lives. You would probably never go back. You would think, why could, how could they be so careless with something so venomous? But yet James says that your tongue, the one that's sitting in your head, not only is it as, as dangerous as a spark that can set off an inferno, he goes on to say, he says, your tongue is so poisonous that it carries a toxin of supernatural potency. It says that it carries it set on fire by the, hell, by the fires of hell itself. And I believe that's why we can't, when we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me, that words are damaging, words are crushing, words are destroying, because they're not just merely words being spoken, but your words carry a supernatural potency to impact and to, to get to the heart and to get to the soul. So James makes the point and makes it very clear to, to, to be cautious and be aware of the destructive nature of our tongues, but I want you to see something in verse six. The second half of verse six, it says it corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by, by hell. Now you compare that to what James said earlier in verse two. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So James starts off and he says, hey, understand, your tongue is connected to your heart. And if you can master your tongue, if you can control your tongue and, and demonstrate self-control in that area, that self-control will impact every part of your life. But then he goes on and he says, if you don't believe me, then you need to understand the destructive nature of your tongue. And if you don't believe that your tongue can... can can if control your whole life, he says, then just give it a chance. And if you give it a chance, it will set your whole, the whole course of your life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. It says, if you don't recognize the danger of your tongue and the words that you say and the meaning of those words and how it spills over your heart, then before long, you'll find that very toxin from your tongue has tainted your whole being. It's understanding the importance and the impact and the destructive nature of our tongues. Third thing that James points out when it comes to understanding your tongue and the impact of your tongue is so we talked about the destructive nature of our tongues. The third thing I want you to see that James points out is the conflicting nature of our tongues. Believe the conflicting nature of our tongues that it's, it's so conflicting and it's so inconsistent that we have become so used to it that we don't even recognize it at times. We don't even see how conflicting our tongues and how we use our tongues and the things we say. We don't even see the inconsistency because it's become so much a part of our lives. Look what James says, beginning in verse uh, number nine. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father, 
and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James gives a couple of examples to, again, point out the the inconsistencies that exist with our tongues. First, he talks about a, a tree bearing fruit. That if we had an apple tree out front today and you were to walk out front and you were to be talking to me and you look over and you pull an apple and you begin to grab an apple and you say, here, you want one too? And you reach over and you grab an apple and instead of an apple, it's an orange, you would look at the tree baffled. How did the tree do that? You say, that's not natural, that's not normal, something's wrong, something's off. If you were to go to the water fountain right out here in the hallway and you were to bend over and you were to take a drink and you were to get a mouth, one second you were to get a mouthful of fresh water, the very next second you were to get a mouthful of salt water, you would spit it out and you would say something's wrong with the fountain. Didn't matter if three out of four drinks you had fresh water, one out of the, one out of the four had salt water or stagnant water or toilet water. Didn't matter if it was one out of 10, one out of 20, one out of 30. Somewhere along the lines you would tell me something's wrong with the fountain. I remember at the time we, we were hosting a pastor's event here in the church from the local other pastors, and as the meeting was done, one of my friends, he had stopped by to get a drink, and he texted me later, he said, and he was just very blunt, and I appreciated his honesty. He said, man, your water tastes like, I think he said like trash. He said, there's something wrong with the fountain, and he was, he was dead on right. I went and tried it. It was nasty. There was something wrong with, uh, with our filtration system that was affecting the water. But he didn't take a drink and say, well, maybe it's okay. Quickly recognized something was wrong. But so often we allow that same inconsistency that I've identified and pointed out and said that we would immediately spot it. So often we allow that same inconsistency to exist in our lives without ever taking notice, without ever recognizing, without ever even being concerned. One book that I, um, I have that I want to share just a, a small portion of it with you this morning. It's called Controlling the Tongue, Mastering What? Mastering the What, When, and Why of the Words You Speak. And this is by R.T. Kendall. Some of you may be familiar with R.T. Kendall. We've I've recommended a couple of his books before. We've done as a church, we've read through Total Forgiveness, just a powerful book, impacting book. Another one that I've recommended before of his is um, uh, Sensitivity to the Spirit and just recognizing just God's desire for his presence in our lives. But in this book, Controlling the Tongue, R.T. Kendall talks about the, the inconsistencies that we allow to exist in our lives, specifically with our mouths and how it so often manifests itself. And I just want to read to you a small list that he's made. He says, The levels of, Im- of imperfection in worship, and what James talks about here, talking about praising God with one second, and then and the other cursing our brother and sister. He says, The levels of imperfection in worship, and what James talks about here, really get close to the bone. When he speaks of praising God and cursing men in the same breath, I think of the following. One, Going to church when you've been saying uncomplimentary things about the same church or its leader. Two, now, I would encourage you, get the book, see that it's there. I didn't put that there, okay? <laughs> Two, worshiping God when, when you are angry, they are not singing a song or the hymn you know or like. Three, reading your Bible or trying to pray when you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse. Four, holding a grudge towards your enemy and feeling no shame as you're singing the praise of God. Five, speaking in an unflattering way about the same people who sit near you in worship. Six, singing hymns while feeling jealous about the accomplishments of the person who sits next to you. Seven, praying and looking at your watch as you contemplate how you need to get away. 
8, listening to the sermon and thinking about someone else there that really needs to hear it. 9, asking God to bless you through the word when you are preoccupied with those who you've spoken against. 10, entering the service with anger from a conversation that just took place and which is still unfinished and thinking of what you will say all through the service rather than worshiping and listening to God. 11, sitting in church or at home in your quiet time, feeling no shame over how you have been entering into gossip. 12, expressing your love to God when you, in fact, speak ill of some who are his children and your brothers and sisters in Christ. 13, meditating upon God's word without any sense of shame when you have just pointed out, pointed, just angrily pointed the finger at someone. 14, praying for the poor of this world when you avoid them right after service. 15, thanking God for the blood of Jesus washing away your guilt while you've been an expert in sending people on guilt trips. The list could be endless. I came up with as many of the above examples because they describe me more often than I dare to think about. But James says this should not be. That's James 3.10. This should not be. True, no doubt. But that is the way it is. And if you and I aspire to a greater measure of the Holy Spirit and want to experience the wisdom that comes from heaven, there needs to be some major changes in our lives. Those changes must begin with our tongues. It's very convicting. His list hits home in my life on so many things, as I'm sure it does for many others here. But it's pointing out and highlighting the inconsistencies that we so often allow to exist in our lives with really no thought, no concern whatsoever over those inconsistencies. Uh, later, even in, in John, uh, James 4, verse 11, he, he talks about, he says, talks about slandering and speaking against those um, who we call brothers and sisters in Christ and just recognizes that inconsistency. And when I read this from James and I even think about what R.T. Kendall just wrote from that, that passage I just shared, I just read from his book, my mind immediately goes to Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, where it's talking about the final order of things and it's talking about the exalting of Jesus. And it says in, in Philippians 2.11, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That just shows the importance and the impact and the power of who Jesus is, because it says there is coming a day that the most unruly member of your body and the billions and billions of most unruly members of everybody will one day come to a place of acknowledging the lordship and the, and the authority of who Jesus is. And that is why I really believe worship is such a significant and an important part, not just worship to sing the words or worship to go through the service or worship to do our part, but worship recognizing the importance of what we're doing in acknowledging Jesus, but then also dealing with the issues in our heart and allowing him to do his work in us. And the fourth thing that, that James gives us very quickly, and it fits right with that, the fourth thing James points out is the solution. And the solution for our, the issues with our tongues is the same as the solution for the issues with our hearts. That solution is divine intervention. Look at verse 12, the second, the last half part of verse 12. He says, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He says, what's doing something wrong in the natural cannot change itself in the natural. Neither can a salt spring 
produce fresh water. He says it's an impossibility because it's a salt spring and so it functions as a salt spring. It's an impossibility for one tree to change its type of fruit because that's what the order is in the natural. But he says it's an impossibility. And so what that highlights for you and for me is that while the natural bent of ourselves is to put ourselves first, the natural bent in ourselves is to use our mouths to tear others down, to not see the inconsistency, the solution to solving the issue of our tongue does not begin with a natural solution. It begins with a supernatural one. It begins with allowing the, the issue, the source to be dealt with. I want you to turn in your Bible with me to, uh, to 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's a passage probably many here are familiar with. If you, you, some may have even memorized it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Thinking about the supernatural solution that we need to deal with the issue in our tongue. Yes, there are natural decisions that you and I have to make that need to flow out of that. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I want you to see the supernatural solution that we must find. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, again, written to followers of Jesus, written to people like you and me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. A couple of words I want you to see. It says, if we confess our sins. God, the, the, the condition that God has given us is not just to feel guilty. The condition that God has given you is not just to feel bad. It's not just to tell yourself you'll not do it again. It's not just to tell the person, well, I'll never say it again. The condition God gives in dealing with bringing a supernatural solution to the natural issue of our tongue is if we confess the condition God gives us is confessing our sin. It's naming the issue and naming the sin. It's seeing it and believing and recognizing it as God sees it. One of the things when it comes to confession and repentance, and those are words that we'll use, you'll hear us talk about, Scripture uses, and we, and we talk about them. Confession and repentance means coming to a place where I see my sin, I see my issue as God sees it, and I agree with him about it. I, I see my sin and I don't make excuses. I don't blame other people. I don't blame other things. I see my sin. I see the issue. I see my failure. I see my miss. I see it as God sees it and I agree with him on it. And then I acknowledge it, confess it. I acknowledge it. I say, I've been wrong in my gossip. I've been wrong in my slander. I've been wrong in my language. I've been wrong in you name, you identify the sin. He says, if we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 9, if you could put 1 John 1, 9 up one, again for me. 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. So first, we confess. We, we meet God's conditions. Secondly, it says that he is faithful. I mean, doesn't mean that he does half a job. Doesn't mean he does part of the job. Doesn't mean that sometimes he answers, sometimes he deals with it. If we meet his conditions, he, is all, he always does a complete job. He is faithful. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. He'll deal with the issue. He'll deal with, with, with whatever it is that's happened. Whatever the sin is that we've identified that's wrong, that's out of God's design, whether it's in our eyes it's big or small, it all misses God's mark. This is if we confess, if we name and acknowledge the sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, he deals with the issue, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he deals with the source. He deals with what we are dealing with, the issue, what's manifested, and he deals with the source. He deals with the heart. But that's the supernatural solution that we must begin with. It's not a matter of, of learning how to just get a hold of your tongue because as much as you try, you'll never find the answer in your natural selves. 
It begins with a supernatural answer and a supernatural solution by coming to God on his terms and recognizing what he has said about it. So to give you a few action steps to take very quickly uh, this morning, and we're going to conclude service in just a second with a special baptism of of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, Um, and those who need to slip out, they can slip out for that. But three action steps I want to give you, uh, just to simplify it as as best as possible, three action steps when it comes to uh, getting control of our tongues and really allowing the supernatural change to take place within our hearts. The first one, we've already talked about it, the first one's repentance. But the first way to always deal with an issue, with any sin issue, it's always repentance. It's always repentance. We've always got to come to those terms and come to God on his terms. It's repentance. And just like I said earlier, it's agreeing with God on what he sees. It's repentance, turning away from our sin and turning towards God. As, as many know, when the word repentance talks about a change, not just a change of direction, but primarily a change of mindset. And, and that's, again, seeing something and agreeing with God on how he sees it. The second thing is accountability. So first is repentance, realizing that, that the things we use our mouths for, that it's sin, so we repent of it. The second thing I would encourage you with is accountability. If you're having an issue with your tongue, then, then find a way to be accountable. That you ask God to do a work in your heart, but then you begin to recognize that there are external things that flow from that. James says our faith is real. It's going to impact our life. So be accountable. Find individuals in your life that you trust, people in, in kind of your sphere of influence, whether it be at home or at work or wherever it might be, and ask them to hold you accountable. That when they recognize that you're using, using your mouth in a destructive way, you're using your mouth in an improper way, that ask them to hold you accountable, to, to call you to, to task on that, to perhaps pull you aside and talk with you about it. Or it might mean, another way might mean to keep, keep a record. To keep a record of how you've, you've uh, been using your mouth wrong. At the end of the day, take time to, to look back, pray, and say, God, help me to, to review this past day. Help me not to just see the, not see the inconsistencies and to, to really accommodate it, but highlight those inconsistencies in my life. Begin to make a list of those. Make a list and begin to journal it or track it for a while so that you can be accountable. For some of you, you don't even have to pull out paper and pen. You can just pull up your social media network. You've already, you've already been accountable and tracked it for yourself. Just, just to look at what is our mouth expressing, what is our heart expressing through our mouths or through our hands onto the keyboard, but be accountable. And then the third thing that I would encourage you with, again, simplifying, and there's a lot of, of other ways you can personalize it into your life. So first one's repentance, second one is accountability, the third one is response. If we're asking God and believing God to change our hearts and to change our lives, then we have to believe that he's going to answer that prayer that he's going to answer that prayer and work in our lives. And so really, when we pray, when we pray specifically on topics like this, there are certain prayers that we pray that are already answered. And if we're beginning to pray, God, help deal with my heart and influence my tongue, that's a prayer that he is committed to answering because it's a a prayer that's in alignment with his word. And so as we pray that prayer, we've repented of sin, we've begun to be accountable and recognize where where that continues to manifest itself, then respond. He's going to lead you. There's going to be times when someone's going to get you angry and everything in you is going to boil over and you just feel it surging up in you. And where you normally would spew it out, you're going to feel a pause and that pause is going to be, you're going to be a thought. Should, should I say that? And that split second thought is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So respond to how he's leading you. That might mean your rights get stepped on. That might mean you're going to, get, you're going to be wronged. That might mean someone else is going to get their way. That might mean someone else might get the last word. They might, get the, they might get the last cut, the last dig. They might get the last whatever it is. But which matters in the end in light of eternity? 
that you had the last word or that you dealt with a heart issue which is manifesting itself through your tongue. God's desire is total transformation of your mind, of your life, of your heart, of your mouths. And it begins as we take Jesus. We make him the centerpiece and we make sure everything else of who we are, what we do, what we say, that it reflects him and less of us. I'm going to invite you to stand with me for just a second and then we're going to have our baptismal, uh, time of baptism here just before we dismiss. Normally at the end of... Um, when I'll share, we'll just create space to respond and space to allow God to work in our hearts. But I think on something like this, it, it hits home to all of us. I mean, it, it's very real. It's so much that I've even said that I've looked at, and I'm like, God, there's things in my life I need you to work on. There's parts of me that I need you to shape, and I need you to change. And I just want to conclude this time before we transition to, uh, to our baptism, just by praying over you. Can I just invite you to, to close your eyes and to bow your head and I just, I just encourage you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand saying, God, I just, want to, I just want to receive from you. I need the work of your spirit in my life. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, your word speaks truth, and your word deals with the heart. And today, God, we have opened our hearts and our lives to your word, to your perspective, your perspective of life, your perspective of our lives. And God, I know that in my life, in all of our lives in this room this morning, God, there are things, there are inconsistencies that you want to work in. There are things that we have tried so often to deal with in the natural realm with natural solutions, and we need your supernatural intervention. And so right now, God, I pray all across this room, God, as individuals come to places of repentance, places of confession, of acknowledging and recognizing this issue, what we've talked about today, or perhaps even others, but recognizing, God, that, that the solution is found in you. And so we invite you by your Holy Spirit to do a complete work in us. We do ask for your forgiveness, but we ask for your cleansing. God, we thank you that you deal with the issue, but more importantly, we ask that you would deal with the source. Deal with the source in our lives, and then I pray, God, for each of us as we, as we go from this place into the rest of this day and into the rest of this week, God, that our hearts and our lives would recognize your Spirit's leading and your Spirit's prompting in our lives when to, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. When our self is getting in the way, when our tongue is getting in the way, God, when our, our mouth and our words are being inconsistent with who you've called us to be. And God, I pray that this point, as your word says, that whoever controls their tongue controls their whole body. God, I pray that this specific issue that we speak of today, God, would begin to, as, we, as we're submitted to you, though that it would begin to cultivate the fruit of your spirit, which is that self-control within us. And God, that we would begin to see the manifestation of that in many different parts of our lives all across this room, God, all across our lives, that we would see the fruit of your spirit at work in us as we continue to yield ourselves to you. So Lord, we give ourselves to you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.